0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Fight On Montana. I am your host, Adam Healy. Today, before we get to our episode, I'd just like to remind the listeners to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio as well. Uh, Make sure that you uh, tell a friend and also just rate, review, and subscribe. That helps us out tremendously. Uh, You can find us on our social media page as well on Twitter at FightOnMontana, also on Instagram at FightOnMontana as well, and also our Facebook page on at FightOnMontana.com as well. So let's not skip a beat. Let's get into our episode today. We have the great pleasure in having former Grizz tight end Colin Bingham with us today. Hey Adam, how's it going? Good, how are you? Doing well. Good, good. What are you up to these this night? Uh just uh picked
1: up some from my uh boss, grabbed some stuff for work and then just kinda chilling, probably do a little bit of studying for chemistry class I'm taking right now. Yeah. Nice. Are you still in school? Uh, I graduated this spring, but I'm taking uh, some post-bac chemistry courses that I wasn't able to take because of football. So finishing up those. and Yeah, it's been fun. Nice. Kind of different being a student without the athlete requirements, obligations. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Is that just kind of surreal just to kind of be in that kind of like – you don't have any practice you don't have any weights you're just like oh i'm just a normal student
1: <laughs> yeah it's it's definitely nice it's you got a lot more free time to <laughs> for personal stuff and but at the same time it's like the amount of free time you have it's almost like harder to be focused on what you're supposed to be doing
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah
1: what have you been up to lately Well, right now I'm working at the university for a campus rec outdoor program, and then I'm also uh, taking a couple of chemistry classes and yeah, just kind of prepping for um, the MCAT test that I'm supposed to take this spring to hopefully apply to medical schools and get that ball rolling
0: next chapter. Yeah. Awesome. So what kind of doctor do you want to be? Uh, I go back and forth. Um, I'm really
1: interested in cardiology. The heart is just a fascinating organ to me. Um, but I also have quite a bit of interest in being a family practice doctor. Um, so, it's tough to say. I mean, that's the nice part about medical school. You get to see every facet of medicine and then yeah. make it. they make it easier for you to make a decision. You get to see what you really do like and enjoy. But right now I'm leaning towards family practice or cardiology.
0: Awesome, awesome. So out of high school, who were you being recruited by? So originally
1: coach Delaney recruited me out of Montana um, and then Montana State uh, before coach Choate, um, coach Ash recruited me. And then coach Joe Glenn uh, who coached at Montana won championship here when he was at South Dakota he recruited me as well um and then some smaller uh NAIA schools around Montana Western uh Carroll Tech I think I talked to a little bit but I kind of wanted the goal was to play division 1 football so I th- and I, I kind of made that clear to them yeah the process
0: well that's that's awesome what made yeah. you uh choose the University of Montana It's fu- it's funny. I probably
1: had the decision made a lot a bef- lot longer before I actually did, because I kind of was like, oh, I should keep my options open. You never know what's gonna happen. But I mean, it was growing up, going to those games, being from Missoula, like that was probably the first dream, like first goal I ever had was play football for the Grizzlies, because like those are my role models growing up. And I, I I just like I idolized every one of those guys. So when I was, like, given the opportunity, I was kind of lying to myself probably, but <laughs> every, every initially I was like, oh, I should probably check out other places, but I knew, like, this was the spot. Um, and then eventually, like, getting recruited, meeting all the guys on the team and the coaches, and it just, it just felt like a really good fit. Um, they The guys on the team felt like a family, which is, I think, sometimes kind of a cliche team used in team sports, but um, they really were kind of close-knit. They looked out for each other. Um, I thought they kind of valued important things like hard work, winning, um, the stuff that I kind of wanted to embody when I became a football player for them. So that was those were probably the two biggest things. Um, yeah, good fit with the guys, I thought, and kind of had been a lifelong dream of mine. Awesome didn't your um did your dad play for the Grizz as well Yeah, he did. He played from 1976 to 1979 he was on okay. those teams they weren't any they weren't very good, but uh, Although yeah. they they had quite a few guys who went and played professionally though
0: yeah, yeah, cool. Did he kind of support you in that and or just he, did he want you to go somewhere else and kind of make your own path? He was really supportive of me kind of doing my own thing and whatever I thought was best. Um,
1: Originally he was like, Colin, you should get out of Montana, you know, so we can kind of come to somewhere warm, watch you play, stuff like that. (laughs) But, uh, and he was, honestly, he was more concerned of like the school aspect of it all. He wanted, he wanted to be sure like wherever I went, I could study something I was interested in. And um, he figured the, the football athletic side of it would play itself out with just like working hard and following the rules and stuff like that. So he, he was pretty hands off, but I think towards the end of my career, I think he was pretty happy that I chose to stay in Montana because I got to see a lot of him and my mom, which was really fun and a lot of other family that are around here.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I can't beat that having family real close that can come watch you play. Yeah, it was Special, I think.
1: I mean, I don't know if my grandparents and parents missed a home game in all four years. And I think they made most of the away games too, which was pretty awesome feeling to always get to see the parents after the game and hug them up. And just kind of makes the experience sweeter while you're in it. And then you have those shared experiences later on and after football that you can still kind of
0: reminisce on, which. Is pretty special. Awesome. So, what is your favorite tradition at the University of Montana?
1: Oh, that's a that's a good question. Yeah, when I was looking at I that, I initially I was like, "Oh, winning, winning—that's a winning <laughs> tradition." But uh, I don't know if you can really call that a tradition. I guess everyone would I, I say that's a tradition, but um probably like. That pre-game kind of environment, the running out of the tunnel, that is just such an electric environment, such an like just out of body experience. You just feel so incredibly amped up. I'd say that's my favorite thing. And just an overall like the game day environment, you know, it's pretty special in Washington and Grizzly on a Saturday afternoon, especially when that crowd gets pretty pumped up. I mean. I know bigger bigger schools, big stadiums, and stuff it gets it can get pretty rowdy, but at the division one double a level i I don't think you
0: could find a better game day environment, yeah, definitely, definitely. Do you have a favorite story or moment in your career? Um, like
1: personal moment would probably be this last year when um we played Monmouth. And myself and uh, Bryson, the other tight end, this last year, when we had, we each had like kind uh, of the biggest games of our season, and it was just really cool to experience that with him and catch some, catch quite, a, quite a few more balls than we did the rest of the season, and just kind yeah, of have like, like a like like hundred yard, yards,
0: a hundred yards, receiving like almost both of you, like bo- like both of you have like something like the, close to that or something. I can't remember. Yeah, we,
1: we each had two touchdown receptions and it was, it was kind of an unheard of day for like a tight end crew to have like four touchdowns between the two of them and like <laughs> 150, <laughs> 200 yards receiving. So that was a really fun day. Um, and then like on a team basis, like my favorite memory would definitely be the Weaver state game. Uh, the first Weber state game, <laughs> not the second one. Uh, this, this year on senior day, um, that was just such an awesome game. I mean, we we were so fired up for that game. We played them really well. We really got after them in a lot of different uh, facets of the game. And it was just a fun environment. Everyone, every single one on the sideline was jacked up. And it was kind of like, I mean, the peak of, that's like the best
0: game a team that I've been on has ever played, which is a good feeling. Yeah. Do you have like a favorite like story or moment from like coaches like that you've you've had? Um, I've got. There's got to be funny stories with with the coaches that you guys had. That there's they're pretty a wider range of of. Yeah, there's a lot of personalities there.
1: (laughs) God, that's that's a really (laughs) good question. (laughs) Because yeah, it is such a wide range of personalities i'd say i can't even pin like a individual story but like it's almost constant with coach Sacks. like anything out of his mouth whether intentional or not is just like funny yeah i don't know if it's (laughs) his like his body language about it or his tone but god like <laughs> he, he is absolutely hilarious. And I, he can definitely, at times, maybe get himself in trouble saying some offhand things, but you, you got to take it all with a little grain of salt because, God, he's just, he's so amped up with every single thing he does. He has more energy and he's more, he's anticipating the next thing more than anyone I've ever met. He's just like, God, I, I think he's like sixty or so, and he's just literally the most energetic person I know. He's unbelievable.
0: Yeah, he seems like full of passion and just yeah, <laughs> seems like a fun guy to go hang out with. Yeah, I, my dad actually played
1: with him and said he was the exact same way back then. Just like so <laughs> wound up and just had like unlimited energy. Funny that it not people don't change as much as we think they do
0: no no that's crazy so do you have a favorite uniform uniform combo that you uh wore um i mean the throwbacks those are always pretty special to wear
1: just like kind of honoring i feel like a sense of honor for the guys who came before you um in those um but as far as like our newer unis, i think the the maroon tops and maroon bottoms that's my personal favorite I just think it looks pretty clean, and um, we always seem to play pretty well in those uniforms too. I thought so that's why I
0: kind of enjoyed them too, probably. Yeah, I think that's a favorite too. I, I think I've I've asked a couple players like um, that question, and and those are the ones with the the matte uh, helmet with the paw on the back, isn't it? Um.
1: We never got to wear the matte maroon helmets, but okay. had that been part of it, that would that would have put the, like the absolute cherry on top. Some yeah. of
0: the,
1: I think the uniform combo before I got there—that was the last year
0: they did that. Okay. Yeah, I love the uh, the paw on the back.
1: hmm Yeah, that is that is super cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The sticker yeah. the sticker aspect with the helmets is fun too because. Um, Stack, our equipment manager, he does, they do a really good job of like getting different stickers for different games and they keep that pretty um, variable throughout the uniforms. And it's always kind of fun. You can collect the stickers after the games and stuff and keep them, probably see a lot of the guys throw them on their trucks and stuff like that. But
0: yeah, the Maroon on Maroon is probably my favorite. Oh, nice! So they're actually stickers. They they don't. It's not a part of the helmet. No, yeah. Some places they'll do the. They'll actually
1: like put a decal on the helmet that you can't get off. But yeah, they yeah. they do the stickers. Well, I think part of it is because so they can, like they'll switch it up for like a um, uh, military appreciation. They'll throw like a camo one or like an American flag one. Or we had p- pink ones for breast cancer games. Um, okay. And then some games we do like a paw or some date games we do like the classic Grizz logo. Um so yeah they they switch that up kind of it might not be super noticeable from the stands or anything but something yeah. like a lot of the players appreciate.
0: Yeah it probably saves a whole <laughs> lot of money too.
1: <laughs> yeah I would imagine
0: so <laughs> like I said that, that would probably save you a lot. I've never really never really noticed it so I I guess me, I'd just like, Oh, they probably just, you know, have different helmets, but yeah, that would, that would be horrendously expensive. (laughs) Yeah. Those those helmets get like outrageously expensive.
2: Like I I used the same helmet um, throughout my whole career or I think I switched once, but yeah, they try and, they try and keep those
0: helmets as conservative as possible. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the hardest thing getting acquainted from high school football um cuz I believe you played at Big Sky, right? Mhm. Yeah. And then coming into Division 1 college football.
2: Um As far as the play goes, just the I would say the speed of the game um both like the players are faster and then like the actual game itself just moves a lot quicker. Um, So people, I think a lot of it comes down to, they know what they're doing a lot better so they can go and they can go around and run around faster, make better quicker plays. Um, So as far as play goes, just like the speed of the game, it's just another notch up. And that's from what I've heard, that's the biggest transition from level to level is just the speed of the game changes a lot. And then nope. as far as like off the field, I'd say just like the time commitment. I mean, high school football, you play in the fall and then you're pretty much done. At least in Montana, that's the case. Yeah. And yeah. A lot of Montana guys, you're then going to play basketball or you're wrestling. And then in the spring, you're doing track or something. So the time commitment that's solely dedicated to football is way, way bigger.
0: Yeah, did you play any other sport? I think you played basketball. Did you play basketball in the winter? Yeah,
2: I, yeah, I played basketball, at big sky as well, and then I, I did track as well, but uh, I was never very remarkable in that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> did you do like running events or like shot put? Uh, they had me just do
2: everything, just because I. They were like, "Well, you might be able to." Be okay, in at least some of these. I was, I was never very fast, but I was never all that good of a throw really So I just like try it all, and uh, yeah, It'd
0: probably help
2: yeah athletically.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's I I I have a hard time running unless I'm running after something or something's <laughs> running after me. Yeah, <laughs> and sure. I like running long distances. Like I've really gotten into that, but that takes. A lot of time to be able to run long distances, and yeah, it's a lot harder than people think. Oh, yeah, for sure.
2: Yeah, I I tried getting into distance running after being done with football, but and I do a little more, but I think I'd rather bike or something, (laughs) go for a hike.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and it definitely, you know, when you're doing something like that, you kind of got to go slow. And not kill yourself. Mm-hmm. Like I think, like one of my friends. Like I, I, I went from like a quarter of a mile, and then up to like my biggest um, running. I was doing like nine miles a night for like oh, nice. six six days a week, and I haven't done that forever. I, I had my second kiddo, and that kind of has <laughs> cramped the yeah. uh, the running <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but yeah, it it definitely is. It's nice, but it, you definitely got to pace yourself. So
2: yeah that being a, like the training for football there's not much like easing into things so I, when I started like running after football got over I was treating it like it was like football training so I'd be like <laughs> I'm gonna hit this as hard as I can right away and then I'll just have to get used to it but it's like no the body does not work that way you gotta ease into that
0: Yeah, you definitely could hurt yourself if you did that. (laughs) Yeah. You were recruited by Coach Delaney. Uh, I believe you redshirted. Did you redshirt your uh, 2015? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you played for um, Coach Stitt and then uh, finished your career two years with, I believe, Coach Houck. How different were those coaches in those years?
2: Um. They were they were pretty different. Um obviously I never got coached by Coach Delaney. Um but he was like just such a good recruiter. I thought I mean just one of the nicest guys I've met in the football kind of industry, I guess. Um and then Coach Stitt uh, was a little less personable than Coach Houck as far as having like even just outside of football talking to him. Um but like their goals for the program were both very similar, um, but their ways to kind of get up to that were a little different. Um, Coach Stitt was kind of, I think, more of like a cerebral guy, and he he really dove into like the X's and O's of it, and wasn't around quite as much as Coach Houth. Um Coach Houth, he I mean, when during the season and like training and stuff, he's always in the always in the weight room, always walking by the meeting rooms seeing what guys are doing um he wants wants guys in the coaches' offices come and saying hi stuff like that and then the stuff they like preached on the field was a little different as well coach stick kind of was um he was more about like execution and um that was his main focus um and then coach how his main focus was like being tough and being physical and that executing should just be like a product of your training. You shouldn't have to like stress that. Um, so his biggest focuses were like just being tough and being physical. And his, his saying was always the toughest, most physical team that plays the hardest, the longest will win every game. Um, and that was kind of his, what he leaned on when he was training us. And I think he's, I think it's gotten really good results in the past, and I think this last year we saw it. it can be a pretty successful um, mantra to
0: coach by. Yeah, definitely. So, what is it like to play in a Grizz Cat game? That uh, it's a one. It's it's a super stressful environment,
2: um, and it it's it's fun. The energy's high. Um, there's a lot of hate. Um, An angst between the two teams um, which makes which is part of what makes it kind of stressful Um, and yeah I think part of maybe why we've struggled the last four years was I think a lot of the guys were like playing not to lose rather than playing to win they were more worried about not losing um, than anything Um, but it It's it's a cool feeling because I mean it's something you think about pretty much every day of the year between the games Um, and when it comes about like you're you're playing really hard you want you want to win a lot and there's the energy's that that's that's probably one of the coolest things playing as far as energy goes because the place is electric it's loud and people are yelling at you the game's physical it's chippy Um, but then again that's it is just another football game, and sometimes it gets treated as more than that, um, which can be troublesome for I think both sides.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you, you mentioned playing not to uh, not to lose. How how would you think um, your opinion? How, how do you change that? Um,
2: I think it's kind of like a paradoxical thing. Like you put less emphasis on the game um because when you think of when you're it's like stressed year-round and it's like you cannot lose this game then all you all, the only thought you have is like what's going to happen if you lose um and if you treat it more like a regular game um even everyone knows it's not a regular game no, everyone knows it's like a super valuable game um but treating it like it isn't and just treating it like a normal Saturday and preparing for it that way. Um, I think that's how you kind of can go out there and play a little more carefree and not so much worry about um, what's going to happen and more worry about like the exact play you're um, going on. But I mean, it's kind of hard to say that when there is so much angst and hate between the two sides that you just, You want to do everything you can to beat them, but sometimes it's that might not be the best. But I really don't. I don't know. It's tough to tough to sit here and like hypothesize on the best way to do it. Yeah, we haven't really in my time we didn't find the we didn't find the groove to do it. So I hope I hope pray that they they uh, figure it out this year or the next time they meet,
0: whenever that may be. Who knows. Yeah, yeah, I definitely do too. So, do you think? And this is just—I was just—do you think that the the coaching staff right now puts too much on it? Um, I know it's a stressful, you know, rivalry game, and everyone's gonna feel it. But do you think that the coach coaches could change that up?
2: Um. Yeah, yeah, maybe a little bit. Um, I mean. not even so much like the things they do, maybe just like the rhetoric they use, like because some, sometimes you hear the coaches say like we lose that game, our season's ruined, like stuff like that, which yeah. even if that's your thought, like it's not doing anyone any good to hear that. Um, yeah. It's just going to create that like kind of stressful environment. It's a little harder to perform in. Um, but I mean – and the other thing sometimes we would like be prac- we'd have like prac- part we'd practice for the cats on like weeks when we wouldn't play the cats we just do like little bits and pieces um which I don't know if that's all that helpful i I'm like a science guy, so I'd say like where's like the experimental evidence for that working <laughs> like
1: yeah, really yeah.
2: work yet, so I don't know if I would like continue that but when there is so much emotion and like feeling in- invested in the game it's it's hard to treat it like a normal game and it's hard to get to the Sunday before the game and be like all right well we're going to treat this like a normal week um when you don't you don't want to treat it like a normal week you want to do every extra thing you can to ensure that you're going to win so yeah, it's an it's a it's probably the hardest question for that coaching staff, and I'm sure they think about it every day, I'm trying to find like the perfect uh, balance of what to do. Uh, I really don't know how they. Answer. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, it's I mean, kind of
0: interesting because you know the the cats probably were in the same position, you know, you know five or, yeah. or ten years ago, and you know it took a while for them to get off to get around the hump, and then you know we're now. The Grizz are in that position as well. So, um, some of those games were so, so close that, um, mm-hmm. they were heartbreakers. So, um, I think a lot sure. of them were, you know, seven or seven or, or, or a possession game. So, yeah. So, what is it like to play in Washington Grizzly Stadium?
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, I touched on it a little bit earlier, but it is, uh, I mean, of all the stadiums we played in, uh, it was definitely the coolest experiment experience. I mean, and that that goes for Oregon and Washington, um, and Bozeman. That was that's also another kind of I guess you could compare it on Grizz um, Cat Day, I should say. But <laughs> yeah, uh, that place—the way the sound stays in and gets funneled down onto the field—it's it's the loudest place I've ever played. Um, the fans are pretty invested um, across the board in the team. Cause it's only on Sat like it's there's no professional teams here. So Saturday afternoons in the fall, like it's the only thing to do pretty much. Um, yeah. So you get a lot of people there who are really invested in the team and care a lot and they know how to get rowdy before the game. And uh, when they get in that stadium, they're loud and, place is rocking and it's yeah it's a it's a cool 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 environment
0: yeah I've, I've been to many games and it it's it, it's it's truly amazing i don't think people really get it until they've actually been there and, and been to a game yeah and you, you'll hear
2: like the professional quarterbacks and stuff who have played there from like I think Tony Romo used to talk about it and it was like Washington yeah, Grizzly Stadium's like the craziest place I've ever played. And yeah. for a guy like that who's who's been, been around since pretty nuts places, that's a pretty high praise.
0: Yeah, definitely. So your record I believe at uh in the rivalry with, with uh the cats, I believe was either one in I believe one in three. Uh three. Counting my think... redshirt year was one and one and four. One and four, yeah. okay. Um, so is that something that you regret, or do you have any regrets in your career? Um, no, not really.
2: Um, I, it obviously like you want to win those games, but um, there's nothing like personally. I could, I can't go back and change anything. It is what it is. I mean, yeah I lose some bragging rights, and I can't talk so much shit as, a, as I'd want to, but you know i don't I don't really regret anything it's just that's the way it's the way the dice were rolled that day, and we came up short but um i mean there's other stuff that we can look to hang our hat on, which is kind of where I stand on it yeah but, definitely yeah it is it is
0: frustrating for sure, yeah yeah. Coming into your freshman year, what did what did you expect with a, a new coaching staff and a new coach? Um,
2: that's it. Yeah, I was – because it was also a new position for me because I was playing H-back, which is more like a receiver than a tight end position, which oh, I played okay. in high school. So I was pretty um, – before the fall – I was pretty, like, kind of ill-prepared, I'd say. Um, But our coach, Coach Ferreira, got just really, really dialed in during camp. And um, I felt pretty confident, honestly. Um, And just, like, trying to do everything I could to learn the playbook and, like, be really dialed in on all that stuff and not make little mistakes that freshmen typically do. Um, So I spent a lot of time doing that. And that kind of yeah, created a confidence um that allowed me to play pretty freely, I, I thought. Um I actually ended up having a fairly decent freshman year, um which which was fun.
0: Yeah. So during your, your I am going to kind of go back to your red shirt uh year. Yeah, were you bad. on the pract were you on the practice squad or, or what were what were you doing during your red shirt year?
2: yeah i was I was on the practice squad i was usually um usually like the scout team the scout offenses tight end um so I actually was blocking Tyrone Holmes the whole year oh nice which was a, <laughs> which was a really good challenge for me and a really good training as well i mean the guy went on to win defensive player of the year for the whole for the nation yeah um, and that was that was who i got to um, sharpen my sword against each day, if you, if you will. So that was, that was probably, as far as my career goes, that was probably honestly one of the uh, more helpful years just to get um, that experience under my belt.
0: Yeah, I bet you you could tell a lot of stories with uh, going up against Tyron. He's, he's pretty, a, a, such a freak athlete that, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he
2: had just incredible hands. Like, if if I'd get like a good grip on him, good block, um, he could do like a push pull so quickly. I'd I'd have like no I cl- no no clue what just happened.
0: I'd, <laughs> I'd be lo- I'd be totally lost. <laughs> <laughs> so I believe that year you were named Scout uh, Player of the Year. How did that make you feel? You know, your first year. Um your redshirt year being scout player of the year. It was a it was a good feeling, because um, I knew
2: I i knew I wasn't gonna play after probably like a week or so in fall camp. I knew I was gonna be redshirting. Um then my mind turned to, okay, well I can't play, how can I how can I help the team out to um be better? And that to be recognized for the effort I put in that year was cool. Um and that award for a freshman that's like the best thing you can get in terms of like how the coaches view you um so being someone that gives a good look and puts a lot of effort into practice shows you care and the the coaches recognize that a lot and appreciate that a lot um which carries over i think
0: um once you start playing or working for playing time so that next year you had, I believe, your your red shirt, your sophomore year. I believe you had your best receiving year. I believe I think you had three hundred and thirty-two yards and four touchdowns. Yeah, yeah, that was my yeah definitely my best receiving
2: year, and it was a different position. Uh, it was like more of a receiving position, a lot less blocking. But okay, yeah, we got we got targeted quite a bit more than. Um, with coach Hauk, when I was playing a true tight end position.
0: Okay. What helped you make, I know you said, you know, just being targeted and just a different position. What helps you make that jump?
2: Uh, the big, biggest thing I had some really good, like older leadership. Um, the quarterback that year, Brady Gustafson was a super good guy in the locker room. And he, he actually let me watch film with him um, a lot lot during the week which was super helpful just understanding the defense we were going to be playing and understanding the bigger scheme of the offense and where i fit into it um with my routes and stuff and then I also the guy i split snaps with josh horner who uh was a really good friend and he was super helpful just kind of give giving me confidence he'd always like like tell me "Yeah, hey, mean you got this like Go make some plays, like you're gonna make plays a day, um, go be great, stuff like that. So he was super helpful, just I and mean, he was so fun to play with that he he made the game really joyful for me, um, which which I think contributed to some of my success.
0: Awesome. Yeah, it definitely helps when you have that support system around you.
2: Yeah. There's like I think that was like the biggest
0: biggest reason that i was able to be successful that freshman year awesome so in 2016 uh i believe that the team had a hard year um but you guys did beat uh northern iowa and then had a bunch of you know one possession losses um how hard was that year and and why did you guys think or why do you think the success wasn't there
2: it was a, it was a hard year um i personally think the success didn't uh wasn't there because uh i think we we had good leadership um but it it wasn't a super vocal leadership which sometimes in like a close game that's just what you need to hear on the sideline is someone speaking up being vocal keeping everyone engaged um and we didn't really have that and we had a lot of guys who really hard workers led great by example um but weren't necessarily the ones that were going to speak up which i mean that i think that was just a product of the guys we had that year and no knock on them they were awesome guys good leaders um in their own right but sometimes you just need that vocal uh guy who's gonna step up in that fourth quarter and get everyone like dialed in and ready to keep working even if you're down seven points just to say positive and give everyone the confidence that they're gonna we're gonna come back and win this game and um that was something we probably lacked. Um and that was probably a bit of bit of the issue. I think we also had kind of some turnover issues um that would end up biting us in the butt towards the end of a lot of those games.
0: Yeah. Do you and then not to um um throw Coach Stid under the bus, but uh did he was he a vocal guy as well or was he kind of laid back and kind of um probably not as vocal as coach Houck, but was he a vocal guy
1: uh,
2: he was but his he was vocal with the offense he was oh, Okay if I was to have one critique of coach Hau- uh coach it was that he uh he was an offensive coach yeah. um and the defense kind of recognized that. So there was almost like there wasn't a super good rapport between him and the defensive side of the ball cuz he just been, they didn't see him that much. He wasn't over there during practice ever. Um so when you don't when you don't see him much um and you don't hear from him much,
0: it's kind of hard to uh have like a good close knit with him. Yeah, yeah. Was that year kind of weird? Just because I'm, I know that when um, Coach Stick got the job, he beat out um, the defensive um, coach uh, Ty Grigorek. Um Was it kind of, kind of weird between them two, between those two?
2: Um, maybe behind closed doors, but they did a good job of not kind of bringing that in the open. And I might have been a bit oblivious to it as a freshman. <laughs> I was focused on different stuff, but. Uh, I never really noticed anything
0: like that. Well, that's good. That's good. So how hard, you know, that that year, um, the Grizz wind up losing to MSU by seven. And I believe the Grizz had the possibility of of making the playoffs. Um, I I think they had to have some things happen, but by winning that game, they would have had a, 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 a chance to make the playoffs. How hard was that knowing, you know, you had a chance, it was a close game and losing by seven that it just didn't fall that way?
2: It was, it was, it was really hard. Um, And personally, I didn't, I felt like I didn't play very well that game. Um, It might've been like a nerves thing being a freshman, the stage maybe was a little too big for me. Um, I can't quite remember, but uh, I personally was pretty disappointed with the way I played that game, which didn't. Didn't help, and then everyone takes that loss really hard because I mean, you know they are gonna you're gonna hear about it 364 days, and then everyone yeah everyone's super emotionally invested in that. They put a lot of time and effort into it, and to not get a win out of it is uh it's frustrating. It's disappointing.
0: Yeah, definitely.
2: That's how, that's how it is. That's how it was every year not beating those guys no matter
0: the yeah. score. You're just pissed. Yeah. So, and I believe that happened in 2016. And then I believe, I think it happened in the next following year as well. In 2017, yeah. I believe too. It happened two years in a row mm-hmm. where it came down to that game to be making the playoffs or, or not. And it just didn't happen.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And that. And that's the kind of, like, yeah, extra fuel to the fire that just bugs you. It's like, had we just went, won that game, we'd still be playing. And that I think that gave a lot of guys more more anger towards the
0: loss. Yeah. So in 2017, did you play any other positions? I, I thought I saw some tackles, but I didn't know if those were tackles off interceptions or – or if you did play some of the defensive side of the ball? No, those tackles were mostly either special teams or
2: I think I had one tackle on interception. Okay. Um, So yeah, I was on special teams. Uh, I got hurt earlier in the year. um, My short first game and I wasn't able to really work back into the depth chart very well. Um, Mostly due to the guys above me, McKenna and Josh just playing really well. Um, So yeah, I did. I tried to, make some contributions on special teams and I must've made a couple tackles that year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Played Washington. How was it to go, to go play a, uh, you know, an FBS uh, school like Washington? So I, I was actually injured for that game. That was our third game
2: that year and I had gotten hurt in the first. So I actually went out, I went out with the team to watch, but, uh, I was I was really frustrated not to be able to play that game because I had kind of like maybe kind of uh, felt a little disrespected that I never got any love from like some of the bigger schools and because I I felt I could have played there um, so I really kind of wanted to have that opportunity to maybe show what what they're missing out on or what I can do and kind of test my skills against some some really talented players in Washington, but it didn't, didn't happen. So I was frustrated. And, but that, I mean, that stadium is so insane, such a cool facility. And the, there weren't a bunch of people there just because it was a smaller game, but it it was loud. And those, those guys are good. They were, Mm. there's, there's a reason they're at that level and that they were playing in the FBS playoffs every year and some, some impressive athletes and the size and speed is it's a different level. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely. So that, that next year, you know, in 2018, um, coach how comes back, you know, what was the atmosphere in the locker room like, uh, upon hearing that? And then after him coming back, how was how was it? It was good. Uh, people
2: people on the team knew his tradition there, knew knew how things went the first time he was there. So uh people were pretty confident in his his coaching ability, I'd say. And they were I think a lot of guys were just kind of excited to maybe see a new face from um, shouting Order's at him. <laughs> but uh yeah that. I'd say the, the main feeling was uh, excitement and anticipation.
0: Nice. Yeah, and then that year, you know, your guys' first game, I believe, was uh, University of Northern Iowa. They were ranked, I believe, like 13th uh, coming into that, that game. Um, how how big was that to have that game, you know, being Coach Houck's first game back, um, you know, coming back to uh, Washington-Grisley Stadium, how how was that atmosphere? Was it packed? Was it louder than usual? Was it just charged up?
2: Yeah, it totally was. People people remembered the last time Coach Alk was here, and they were they were eager to see his return. And it's kind of funny. I think a lot of people maybe jumped the gun after that first game. They were like, oh, he automatically turned his team around. <laughs> Which wasn't really the case, um, not that not that his, um, not because he was doing something wrong. It's just the guys, I and mean, it takes a lot to shift the culture. But it was kind of funny. Everyone's like, "Good, you back, baby," because <laughs> like, we had won <laughs> one game in pretty good fashion.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that year, you know, you you guys did pretty well. Um, I know it was a six and five year another close loss to the cats. Um, I believe like four points that um, you guys lost, lost by, but I believe that that stretch with Portland state, North Dakota and UC Davis was just the killer. Cause that was three games in a row. Um, and, you know, I believe Portland state was like a two point loss and North Dakota was, it was a big loss. I, I remember it being like not 30 points, but, pretty close do you remember that or what do you remember of that three game slide yeah we got whooped against North Dakota we
2: just that was a weird game we didn't have a very good energy didn't just didn't play very well um Portland State game um they have a pretty unique defense um that we we thought we had a good game plan for ended up not being the case really um and the game was close and then they hit a really big kick at the end of the game that yeah. Um, I mean, incredible kick. Props to the wasn't, guy for doing that. Wasn't that
0: like the last seconds, too?
2: Yeah, last second. True freshman yeah. kicking a, I think, like a 50 yard field goal to win. And he, yeah, he nailed it.
0: I mean, good honor. I remember, him. I remember listening if we to We wanted that to win game.
2: that game. It shouldn't have been that close.
0: Yeah. I remember listening to that game on the radio and, it, oh man, it just killed me. I was like, there's no way yeah. that this freshman is going to make that long of a kick. And if he made it, I was like, <laughs> but, oh, you got to kidding (laughs) me that's that's what i thought too yeah as a a tight end how do you handle your job you know on the line and receiving I, i feel like you know the tight end position has it's 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 rare because you you work with the offensive line you work with wide receivers um and then you also you know you've got your your tight end coach as well that works with you so you're basically working three positions um how how hard is that to juggle that and yeah can 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 you kind of give us a glimpse of what that looks like it it is difficult um i mean aside from the quarterback
2: position we probably have one of the more difficult kind of offensive roles um Cause we need to know all the run blocking schemes and a good number of the pass blocking schemes. And then we also need to have a good understanding of the con the passing concepts and the route tree and all that. So you're definitely busy with that. Um, I mean, it, and then also on the flip side, you have like kind of three coaches that are kind of helping you it's primarily yeah. your tight ends coach, but, you get quite a bit of input from the offensive line coach, and you'll get help from the wide receivers coach. And uh, there are a lot of guys out there helping you. So it's a hard job. Um, and I think the coaches realize that, and they, they, they put a little extra help in, which is nice. But uh, as far as, and they're super different, like physically, to the like, receiving's running and making cuts and catching the ball and trying to get some yards after the catch. Whereas like blocking is just like trying to throw your body against someone else's and move, move them out of the way, which are two yeah. very, they're
0: vastly different. Do you think that's kind of like the heart hardest or not like the hardest position, but like the hardest one to transition since, you know, one, one minute you could be, you know, blocking somebody and throwing your body at them. And then the next one, you could be running against a, maybe a safety or maybe a linebacker and trying to put your foot down and, and cut and make a, a quick move so you can get open.
2: Yeah, it is I mean I'm 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 obviously biased to the position. <laughs> <laughs> but uh I think I think it is one of the hardest positions because of that kind of transition. You gotta go back and forth to doing different things and sometimes it's hard um after pushing against someone for five seconds and then going and lining up and running a deep route and then having to go back and do it again, you get pretty exhausted um doing two very different things that require kind of different energy pathways and different muscles and stuff like that. So it's uh it's definitely as far as the job that's required, it's probably the most unique on the field, I would say.
0: Yeah, definitely. it It seems that way. It just the the load that you guys have to carry, um, with all with with also just like the different positions that you guys play and are expected to to handle as well. So, so in, during the year, um, how hard? And, and this, I, I didn't ask you this on the on the um, questions, but. Um, it kind of just came to me, but how hard is, is, you know, playing and being a division one, uh, student athlete and also taking care of your body, um, going to school, um, and you know, just eating right and and watching film. How hard is that?
2: It's a, it's a full-time job. That's, that's for sure. Um, I mean, like in the this last this last fall I wake up like six a m most days um and we'd go get like our workout in for the day um and then after that, either getting breakfast and getting some treatment or getting to class, and then pretty much like the first open time slot you have um hop into the film room, get some film for the day um hopefully get some lunch between before practice. And then I usually would have a class between lunch and practice. So I'd do that and then maybe get a quick treatment in before practice and then meetings before practice and obviously practice. Um, It's, it's, it's definitely a challenge. Um, And it's also the fact that you have such little free time and everything is scheduled out that you can get into a rhythm pretty well and it's like, well, I only have two hours this whole day to do homework. I better be pretty on it with that. And, uh, when Sunday rolls around, you're, you're, you're pretty worn out and ready to just like chill out for the day. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I think, I think a lot of people don't understand the amount of time and effort that goes into it. Um, which at times it's like, yeah, you can't expect them to. They don't, they're not there, but were they, were they to realize how, how, how committing it is? I think they might have, some people might have a different um, take on the sport and
0: respect for it. Yeah. I think a lot of the, you know, some fans are like, Oh, they get paid, you know, they get free schooling. Yeah. But, there's a whole lot of other things that are happening, you know, you know, so, some athletes are living off campus so they they're not getting the meal plan that you would if you were mm-hmm. living on campus. Um, and so they're pa- trying to pay their own food costs, which, you know, if if you're an athlete, you want the best food possible, <laughs> you know? So in and, and, and food nowadays is, is not really cheap. Um. No. So I asked. I think I asked Angel Vonaeva that. I'm like, did you like? Did you go to like McDonald's? Like, is like is that <laughs> that just seems a whole lot cheaper <laughs> than you know going and and going to get meat and and all that stuff? But um, yeah. It it's a. It, I'm amazed by what you guys do. So.
2: Yeah it it's a commitment and that's that is honestly one of the biggest like uh, adjustments and learning periods in becoming a college athlete in general is just like getting used to that. um, That whole, the the schedule of being an athlete. I mean, there's workouts, there's practice, there's treatment, there's having to get your homework in, but in the little free time you have and you got to like eat healthy and you're cooking for yourself. And it's a, it's a just it's a big adjustment from high school and living with the parents and stuff, but, but yeah. i mean that's that's part of what sets people who are really good apart from the people who are not quite as good if they can do that really well and um drive in other aspects they uh they tend to be pretty successful
0: so when you're a freshman um there do they have like some type of a team where they help you guys get organized where or are you guys kind of just thrown at it and say, okay, you guys have to organize or do they help you with that?
2: Uh, there's like a, there is a, there's a class they have you take that's the to get the athletic advisors, the athletic academic advisors. Um, and they kind of teach you the ins and outs of the NCAA and the rules and they also help you with like um, maybe financial aid or job application stuff or um better time management skills or like mental health techniques stuff like that um which is when you're in it you're like oh i don't want to do this but thinking back like that was that was a really helpful class for i think a lot of the athletes
0: yeah so in in 2018 i believe you earned academic all big sky with a 4.0 um that just blows my mind man <laughs> <laughs> a 4.0 while you're playing football like holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, appreciate it. Uh, that that's that's amazing. Um how hard was that? Like I know we talked about, you know, school and what did you major in? Uh I
2: got my I majored in uh, health and human performance um and then I minored
0: in biology and psychology. Okay. So yeah, you're not doing something easy. <laughs> it's no, not no, like no, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's that's
2: well, not what, stuff What really helped me, what really helped me was I found something that I was really interested in. Um, okay. Health and human performance and like human physiology, um, was it it fascinated me, and I was able to take a lot of interest in what I was studying, which is super helpful. I mean, I can understand the guys who are taking classes that they don't enjoy, they're not interested in. It's a lot harder to succeed in those classes because you have no desire to actually study. Um, so being in something that I enjoyed was really nice. Um, and then I'm, I'm also, you can ask some of my teammates, I'm just kind of like a nerdy guy. Um, I like i like studying. I, I like doing my homework. Uh, I like to read and stuff. So. Um, when I was able to have the time to study and commit to learning some stuff, I I usually really dug into that. And I developed some pretty good time management skills my freshman year um, while I was redshirting. So, and those kind of carried me through my five years, which are really helpful. And that's a big part of being able to maintain a good GPA and stuff like that.
0: Did you guys... I think I think uh, now with uh, how I think he kind of wants players to do um, summer classes. Did you do any summer classes?
2: Yeah, I, I usually I took I did an internship one summer, and then I took a couple. I think I took three summer courses throughout my time. Um, it is nice to be able to get uh, get that done with, and it makes. That was the one thing I always did keep my falls pretty easy. Um, Wouldn't take a huge credit load and I wouldn't take my most challenging courses. So being able to take a class in the summer makes it so you don't have to take quite as many in the fall, which allows guys to be more, more focused on football than they would be if they had like 18 credits they had to be studying for each night.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So coming into your last year, uh, what were your expectations? I had some high
2: expectations for us. I, I thought we had a really, really good team. Uh, I thought we had a really good leadership. I thought the coaches kind of had a good plan for the guys they had. They knew what um, everyone could do pretty well, and they, they put put together good plans. And for the most part, um, I think most of my expectations were pretty close to uh, coming to fruition. Um Obviously, we're very close to uh, winning the conference championship. Came up short at the end there, which was my, like, chief expectation of us. Uh, and that obviously didn't happen. Um, and then we made a playoff run, which I also wanted us to do. Um, and lost to a really good team in Weaver State. But uh, part of my expectation was that, that we would continue the – the kind of changing culture that Coach Houck was trying to instill, and I think we did a pretty good job of that. Just like being a physical team, being really tough, um, running the ball well, stopping the run well, stuff like that. Um, I think we, uh, for the most part, we did that stuff. So I was, in high, like, a few weeks after the season was over, I was really happy with
0: um, how it all how it all went. Yeah, definitely. I definitely think that you guys um one of the main uh factors in in changing the culture and and making it a a really good push to bringing back that championship culture. Yeah, I hope so. so.
2: I mean, uh, it's such a bummer that sorry. they couldn't play this year, but I think uh I think that ball would have just kept rolling and I think they would have had another really good season this year.
0: Yeah, yeah, I totally. I'm hoping they can play in the fall, but um just for the sake of the players that are, are seniors this year, but yeah, I, I yeah. think they, they could have had a, a really good, a really good year this year. So, what did you want to accomplish as a senior? Was there anything else that you wanted to accomplish that you guys didn't accomplish? Um, beating the cats—that'd be
2: my like one accomplishment we didn't get done. But like, I didn't really have any like personal goals. Um I mean I like I wanted to play well um for the team but I had, I really couldn't have cared less if I was catching a bunch of balls or scoring touchdowns I just I wanted to see the team succeed I wanted to see um the guys who had been working their butts off since last year just uh have that hard work pay off um So a lot of it a lot of the accomplishments did happen but the there's that one,
0: but, uh, yeah. Yeah. The end of the year, you, you you know, you face a team in a Weber state that uh, you guys had probably the most complete game that year of the season. How hard is it to play a team from your conference that you've already beat? Um, that knows you pretty well. And what went wrong in that game? Well, what it
2: finally came down to was just turnovers. Um, We had a tough time keeping possession of the ball. Um, And it was just absolute slop fest out there. That was a really bad weather game. And it it really could have gone either way. Um, If you go back and look at the film and stuff, it was was kind of a toss-up what happened there. But it is really, really hard to beat a team twice. Um, Yeah and especially a team as good as Weber State. I mean, what we did to them in that first game was probably a bit out of character um, and would be really hard to repeat in any scenario. So coming back and playing them again, they obviously had some some motivation and they had a good game plan for us. And we really, we played... Aside from the turnovers, we played a pretty complete game. We outgained them, um, and we held them to. Uh, they weren't able to run the ball hardly at all, um, and no one could really pass the ball in that weather. But yeah, uh, yeah at the end of the game, they just had more takeaways, and we able to get some get some points off those.
0: Yeah, you know, there's I believe there was like five turnovers. Um, you know, there was a I, I believe there was a safety that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, the punter had to um, kick out of the the end zone, I believe. Um, and then uh, I remember because I was I was I was like yelling at the TV um, a horrible <laughs> offensive pass interference, uh, I believe, by Mitch Roberts. Like, like I believe it was, either it was a pass interference or or it was a a no catch. And I think it was a no catch that and and it was like. Obvious that it was a catch, and it was like a huge, oh. huge game too. And I was just like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, it was, yeah, it was not a good, not a good night. And um yeah, I just, it, it was such a weird game because it, you know, seventeen, I believe, it was seventeen ten. Um, it, and it just felt like you know, one thing. If one thing went right, it would have turned that game around. Um, and it was just. It just, yeah, it was just such a weird game. Yeah,
2: it, I gotta imagine it was kind of a boring game to watch too. I mean,
0: <laughs> no one was able uh, to pass the ball. No one was
2: really able to move the ball very well. It was just kind of a game of punting it back and forth, and with the occasional score in the
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I thought it was. I, I don't know. I'm kind of boring like that, I guess, because I was on my edge of my seat, you know, and and just like. You never knew what would happen, you know, if you if something was yeah. going to happen or. But uh, yeah, I'm a diehard Grizz fan, so it, I, I I wouldn't care. I'd, I'd watch if it was a a blowout win or a blowout loss. It, I'm still going to watch. Yeah. So.
2: That's the be- That's that's awesome. Appreciate
0: yeah. That. The end of the year, you guys lose. You go, go back home. What did you guys do at? What did you do after the season?
2: Uh first off, I just tried to get my body back and healthy. I'm. I had, finish the season with some injuries and stuff. Um, and then i tried to decide what I wanted to do as far as maybe training to do a pro day, something like that. Um, and I eventually elected not to because um, I wasn't, I wasn't super interested in continuing to play football. Uh, I'd kind of gotten what I wanted out of it. I, I had so much fun playing it. I learned so much and it's kind of ready to be, on to the next um, thing in life. And uh, I think that's, I was fortunate. I i had some other interests while playing football, really like an outdoor oriented person. So I like to ski, like to hike and raft and do a lot of that stuff. So I was able to uh, have some other interests I could lean on outside of football that were really, like, I found a lot of joy in. Um but yeah and then I think I went I went actually went to Hawaii with my family. Oh nice. Christmas break. So that was that was like a perfect cap to that.
0: <laughs> nice. Right before right that's before the mine. COVID hit, the COVID hit. So that that's always good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, speaking of COVID, you know, with this weird time as a former player, um would do you think you would play this year knowing just some of the The things that are uh, the risks that you have out there. Would you play this year if you if you had the chance?
2: I actually haven't tossed that idea around. Um, I think I think I would. Um, Mostly, basing that decision off of um, the fact that my age group with COVID um, has a really high um survival rate if they contract it um and if i was playing i would like be pretty frank with my family like i'm not going to be able to see you like i just don't want to expose you but i would play and a lot of that would come down to just the amount of time that i've invested into this like my if, if it was my senior year it'd be like shoot like 12 years of football of my life that I've been preparing for this moment pretty much so I wouldn't want to like just give that up knowing that it could be my last chance to play football yeah. in a competitive competitive setting so I would I think I would play but I, I would totally understand if someone were to want to sit out um, I mean it is it's not a guaranteed survival if you do get it even if you are in really good shape like I've had pneumonia in the past and that could seriously um affect my health if i were to get it so there's a lot i mean there's a lot of different uh things to think about with
0: it but uh, yeah
2: either, either either side of the coin you gotta you gotta respect the decision i think
0: yeah definitely it's 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 kind of a crazy world that we're living in and, and definitely have to kind of yeah. respect the people that make those choices. And um yeah, I just wish them the best. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It would not be an easy decision to make. So.
0: No, no, it wouldn't. No, not at all. I, I you know, and um, I, if if I had to make that decision, I I honestly don't know what I would do. Um I, I feel for you guys that be poor and, and the guys that are seniors this year, you know, the poor, you're, your life, basically a huge amount of your life into this Mm -hmm. and, um, just like not having, um, the control that, Hey, I I lost it or, Hey, we, we didn't perform, but having something take it away from you, that isn't something that's controllable is something that I don't think anyone else has ever had to, to deal with, you know?
2: No, no, it's a, such a novel experience right now for all these guys again yeah you got to feel for them so much emotion and effort is invested but uh it's tough yeah yeah definitely and no one's like they're just kind of being led on to which i feel bad for they're like well we don't really know what's going to happen so yeah maybe well maybe keep training maybe hold hope
0: yeah well and and like and this is like my opinion so uh i'm not a fan of the ncaa (laughs) i think with all of this like man they just led people on they they led the student athletes on they led the presidents on they they punted on the decisions they made the athletic directors and presidents you know be the bad guys and make these decisions and the conference had to make the decisions and you know, after they made the decisions, then they made these regulations that made it pretty impossible for smaller schools to actually play, and it it just really doesn't look good. <laughs> no, uh, off of a non-profit I'm, I'm the that's supposed to, to be like looking after. What's that?
2: I'm in the same boat as you. I don't. I'm not a fan of the NCAA.
0: Yeah, well, just with you know this nonprofit that makes billions of dollars and you're supposed to be okay. looking after the players. It, it, how are you looking after the players if you're not going to make those tough decisions?
2: Exactly. And that was that was my gripe. It was like every other thing in an athlete's life you want to have control over um, and make decisions on. But as soon as like a big, hard decision comes along that you might um, be at a risk to lose money for, they, they weren't. They wouldn't make the decision on it. Yeah, and that bugged me because for the group that supposedly has athletes' um, best interests in mind when they're making their decisions, they did not behave in that um, respect at all. They yeah, they were operating with like, how can we save our ass?
0: Yeah, which is just so frustrating. Well, I, th- I thought it was interesting that the uh, coach—I know it's—it's it's blasphemy to say—but uh, <laughs> uh, the the cats' coach, Coach Choate, you know, he he came out and said, you know, the NCA is kind of looking after the the big guy in this, and the little guy is getting the shaft, and it, he's right. <laughs> yeah, he he is. Yeah, he totally so, is. And and he's seen it before. He I think he played or he coached at Florida, so he knows what he's talking about and. You know, with the NCA, you know, I think when all this was happening, I was so pissed. I was like, I went into their like financial records and because they they post them, they made like $1.2 billion in like 2018 or 2019. And after they like paid all, you know, um, all their conferences and and championship games and and all the money that they had, they had like an excess of 300 to 400 million dollars. Yeah, and, that's, a, that's quite. That's a big, uh, big amount of money for a
2: nonprofit.
0: Yeah, like, and and then they say, and then it pissed me off because it's like, okay, so these schools have to pay for all these COVID tests, mm-hmm. and yeah. you know they have to, or to be able to play, and so you have three hundred, four hundred million dollars in the bank. Why don't you pay for that if you're really looking after the, the student athlete? then you should be paying for these tests.
2: Yeah, and if they're going to allow, like, the sports to be played, like, make – I haven't even heard of any effort for them to set up something – I mean, obviously it would be different than the NBA bubble, but they haven't even, like, set up, like, regulations or, like, a a way that they could safely play games for everybody. They're just like – I think the schools are the ones that come up with their, like, protocols and rules and stuff, or the the conferences make it up. And that's not – that shouldn't be their – that shouldn't be their job. That should be the NCAAs if they're – if they are really the governing ordinance of collegiate athletics.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's been so crazy, too, with – you know different states have different protocols and different and different rules and you know some states are, are already practicing and i know the grizz just started practicing like the other day so um yeah. it's just crazy just like the non like conformity that that is governing like sports it's just crazy
2: yeah there needs to be some pretty considerable reform <laughs> i think in that yeah in the governance of these
0: college athletic programs well and i I'm, and i, and, I, I th- go ahead
2: and i think that the players are the ones being hosed right now which which sucks because one they're not really they're getting an educate some of them are getting a free education out of it but they're taking so much of that with them like physical injuries they get, um, mental health issues they get. Um, there's a lot more that comes with it than just the education, a free education. So to not look out for these athletes who they are benefiting from greatly, um, is just really wrong.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that was, that was one of my next questions is as a former player, do you feel like these players should, should be paid? And should they should they be able to be uh, form a union, or or even like a, an association like the NBA? I I I do support that. Um,
2: I think I think there are a lot of instances where it wouldn't it wouldn't work for every sport. Um, it, like football. Like we'll just take the University of Montana for example. Um, if they did move to, like, a a paid thing where it was based off of, like, um, the amount of revenue dev- um, that comes from the specific sport, it'd probably only be football, men's basketball, and women's basketball, athletes <clears throat> getting paid. So that's one part where you can be like, well, if they're getting paid, should everyone get paid? Um, but... At some of the bigger schools, like you you see, I mean, let's take Clemson for an example. Um, the Clemson bookstore and whoever like sells all the jerseys and stuff, they're probably making an insane amount of money every year off of um, Trevor Lawrence jerseys, let's say and they might not have Lawrence's name printed on the back of them, but they have his number and everyone knows why they're buying that Jersey. <laughs>
1: yeah. And
2: I don't know his, his personal thing right now, but like, who knows? Like he, he might be eating ramen for dinner some yeah. nights just cause like, that's what they have. Um, and for someone like him and other big athletes and other athletes at big schools who are making millions and millions and millions of dollars for these schools, um, to not see any of that is slavery is like a, a word that has like pretty negative connotation around it, but that, that is essentially what slavery is.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Working without well, any sort of financial yeah.
2: compensation.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and, it, and it's just really weird that, you know, so football, even basketball, um, not as much as football. It is a very violent sport, and mm-hmm. you know, whenever you do a a job, let's say, because basically that that's what you're doing, you're getting a financial scholarship. So you you are getting paid, uh, just not money, but you mm-hmm. get hazard pay usually with a job that is dangerous. Um, yeah, football players and and basketball players are not getting any type of hazard pay. They aren't even getting, which I think is unethical, for for a worker to not have health care. So if I was, and I'm, and I'm not, <laughs> I'm I'm nobody. I'm just a school teacher. <laughs> if if I was a part of the NCA, um, and all this is happening, and the likeness and the image thing is is probably going to happen. Um, you know, my thought process is is to give everybody some type of a stipend and say everybody gets this amount of money um, and it might not be that much, but then you come back and say, Hey, um, because you guys are at risk of, of injury, you're, we are going to put so much money into this trust where if you have, you know, uh, an injury that needs surgery up to a certain amount of years after you're done playing, we can cover it.
2: Yeah, so they, right now the number is two years pretty much. Um, oh, okay. Two years from the injury report. So, oh. some, something some schools and trainers, if they're like nice, they'll, like after your, your last game, they'll um, make an injury report for you with all your injuries. Um, and, but I, really, I don't think two years is like a fair. No time frame, because, for instance, like I have a sh- I have a torn labrum in my mm-hmm. in my shoulder, and right now like I'm young enough and fit enough that it doesn't bug me, but I'm gonna need to get it repaired at some point in my life, and the only reason my shoulder's in- injured is from football. Yeah, um, had I not, it would be fine if I wasn't a football player, and there's other stuff like that that uh, I mean, guys there's a lot of guys who will have like pretty severe arthritis from their playing days there's a lot of guys who will have um potentially develop some mental health illnesses due to um traumatic or due to concussions um there's CTE stuff and there's also like other physical or not physical things i mean when you i kind of talked about it earlier like there's a lot of guys who all they do is football and when football's over with they don't have any idea what to do next and that that creates a pretty hard um transition for them they're unable to um like really find like joy or interest in anything because they haven't they've only done one thing for the last five years and that can lead to some kind of um destructive behaviors in some in some cases and like they'll need mental health um treatment at some point, which costs money, and who who's gonna pay for that if like they can't. And those are I think those are some things that need to get be discussed that I don't know if they are. Um which I know I know there are people who are talking about mental health a lot and athletes, but I'd like to see the NCAA do maybe more than just like talk about it, maybe talk like think about like how can we financially support these athletes who are experiencing these symptoms, um, physical and mental after their playing games are over? Cause such a small section of athletes are going to be able to continue to the professional level. And that's yeah. something that they need to seriously think about.
0: But, yeah. Sorry,
2: uh, I hope babbled I on that. I think that that's something I feel kind of passionately about.
0: Yeah. I, I, I definitely, I definitely agree with you. You know, that, that, actually talked to Ellis Henderson about his mm-hmm. um, uh, what he went through and um, it was, it really impacted me. My wife is a, a counselor and so, and a, uh, a social worker. And so she, uh, she sees a lot of that as well. And, and it's one of those things that's not talked about. That's not, you know, big football players, you know, that they've got to be tough and blah, blah, blah. And they don't have, you know, mental health issues. And, and I think that, all over the place mental health is not considered something that's real it's just something fake which it's not it's (laughs) it is serious it's one of the leading causes of death i believe in our our nation
2: Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. whether it leads to suicidality or i mean it has can it can have like it can manifest physically and lead to other really serious physical ailments yeah Michael Bennett um former he played defensive end for the Seahawks and the uh, Patriots and stuff uh, yeah he actually wrote a book called things that make white people uncomfortable which is actually a really good book and it goes into a lot more than just like race mm-hmm. Okay. And he talks he talks a lot about one well, the NCAA and he also talks about um tra- like encouraging football players to ditch that like bravado attitude. It's like, it's not doing you any good to act like the toughest guy in the world. Like have, show emotion, like be vulnerable. Like that's going to, it's going to carry like being emotionally intelligent is way more helpful than just being like, Oh, a it doesn't affect me. Like, um. and he's got a, he's got a, like a few chapters talking about that. And it's, it's a really good read. I recommend.
0: Nice. It to I'll have to check have it out. One. So, hey, I got one more question for you. Um yeah. How hard, like personally, do you think, um, with this season maybe happening, not happening, but possibly, you know, you never know. Um, how hard would a spring season be? And then, how hard it would would it be to directly then a couple months go back into a fall season?
2: Uh, I think it'd be incredibly difficult both from a logistical uh, or logistic standpoint and from the player's health standpoint. Um, logistics, like, I don't – especially in these, like, higher latitudes, I don't know how – unless you have a dome, you're going to be playing in the spring. Yeah. Like a, like, a, like a legit season, because like I mean, there's a lot of times in spring ball, we would barely have the field ready by like start of April, and I gotta <laughs> imagine most places would want to start playing before that if they were gonna be expected to play a fall season too.
0: Um, yeah, I believe that the date is February, the second week of February or the third week of February that they would start games. <laughs> Yeah,
2: and, and that's just that's just not realistic, especially <laughs> no,
0: not in Missoula yeah. or both. <laughs>
2: or, yeah, or Eastern Washington. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just it wouldn't it wouldn't work out. It, there's yeah. just no way um, unless there's that like all the games were held at a neutral dome or something, but that would kind of be lame. Yeah, um, and then from a player's health standpoint, um, like they have spring ball, which is physical and. Stuff, but the, the fall is just different. Uh, I mean, a lot of that stuff from the games carries on for months, and even if it's not that, like, even if the guys aren't noticing it, I mean, playing one game could set something up that, that they didn't really know about. Um, if it's not given proper time to recover, and I think, I think a lot of their health could take a, like a permanent hit by doing something like that. Um, which is, and this is all just like theory right now, but yeah, you gotta, you gotta, like we were saying, you gotta have the players like best interests in mind when you're making these decisions. It's uh, obviously there's an economic component to it, but, uh, what's more valuable, these players health or, um, Getting a few bucks out of
0: uh, a season, yeah, definitely. Well, and yeah, I, I believe the Missouri Valley. I think they have four teams that have domes and four teams that don't. <laughs> and so I think oh, okay. those the, the non-dome teams will be going to the dome teams for a while until it gets nice. But oh. I don't think I don't think the Big Sky has that. I know they have California schools, but I don't know how you would be able to have all your cold-weather states go to California schools for...
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, Idaho so. and Idaho State have domes too, but those are like... I mean, those don't... I don't think they'd really be able to support, like, if they were having to hold, like, two or three games there every weekend. <laughs> I don't yeah. think that would work out <laughs>
0: logistically. Yeah, It'd
2: be like an A- AAU basketball tournament but with college football.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think that would really work. <laughs> like
2: just like checking it in out of a locker room. Yeah. That
0: shit you know? Yeah, yeah, big time. Hey, man, Colin, I really appreciate your time and coming and answering some questions and, and kind of going back over your career. I really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, absolutely, Adam. It was uh, it was a pleasure talking to you.
0: That's going to do it for another episode of Fight on Montana. I would like to thank my guest, Colin Bingham, for coming on the podcast and talking about his career and a lot of other topics as well. So also, the listeners, thank you for listening. Make sure that you pass the podcast on to your friends and other Grizz fans. Also, if you'd like to hear about us or, or, or hear the podcast, you can find us on... Uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and as well, follow us on our social media platforms, uh, on Twitter at FightOnMontana, on Instagram at FightOnMontana, and also on our Facebook page at FightOnMontana. And as always, 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 always remind you to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. And until we meet again, Fight On!